0: So last week, I told you guys, we were, uh, I think we were at $1,473.94. Our goal is $5,000. What we're trying to do is we're trying to put a new floor downstairs for our kids' church. Um, and uh, it's, the floor is old. It's busted up. And so we're trying to repair that and, and, and put a new floor down there. Um, and so after last week, we got I got an update for you. Um, do you have that slide, Tim? There we are. Okay. So we are at $2,061.88. And so we're almost there, guys. You know what I mean? We're almost halfway. Um, and our goal is $5,000 to get that floor. Um, and so like I told you guys last week, you know, your offering is, you know, your, your, your tithe is, is 10%. Uh, your offering is 11% and above. So uh, we're just asking for the church. I believe that in a couple weeks we will have that floor. Um, And we have somebody who is gracious enough to actually um, give us their time, donate their time, and their skill to install that floor. Um, So we just need to get the floor. That's it. Um, We will have uh, also, is that for um, uh, Thursdays? Okay, so Thursdays is our DSM um, uh, service over at our Cleveland location. And it is amazing, guys. If you ever get an opportunity on Thursday night, you should just go. Can't sit up front. You got to sit in the back. (laughs) Okay? But you should just be there. Uh, They just had a Christmas party, and there was probably like 80 kids, teenagers, there to celebrate Jesus and worship the Lord. About 80. And every week, they have a service at 7.00 seven o'clock. They usually get there about six and for an hour. You know, they have activities and they have games and, and they just gather together and they fellowship. And it's amazing to see, you know, regularly you see about 50 to 60 uh, kids at the uh, DSM service. But uh, what Katie and Mike have been doing is they've been teaming up with Pastor Jeremiah over at Cleveland and they're putting a shuttle together here. Are they be picking up here? Six o'clock uh, on Thursdays, they're uh, putting a shuttle together where we'll be sh- shuttling some of our teens. So if you have a teen that you want to get to service on Thursday evening, or if you know somebody who has a teen, you want to get them plugged in. You know, I often look at like our, our DSM, uh, our teens as like, you know, we, we all come to church. You know, here we all are on Sunday. And we know that there is a spiritual battle going on out here in this world, do we not? Yes. Yes. Okay, there's a spiritual war. So we know that there's a war, yeah. and we come to get equipped. right? We come, we put on our armor, we come and we get equipped. What about the other? What, the, what about the generation below us? Right. Right. Yes. We are leaving them naked. Not prepared for the battle that's coming at them. And let me tell you, it ain't, it ain't nothing like when we was in school. We just had to deal with stuff from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. when we walked out. It is 24-7. It is a battle that they are going through every single day, all day. We have to equip our children. We have to equip our children. Amen. Stop leaving them at home to fend for themselves. They need armor just as bad as you do, even more, even more. And so we have to equip that generation. And so if you don't have them here on Sunday, which I just suggest you start bringing them. Our kids ain't got no choice. They ain't paying nothing. They ain't paying no rent in my house. They don't buy their food. They don't buy their clothes. You ain't got no choice. You coming on Sunday and you're worshiping Jesus. That's what you're going to do. I need you to know who you are in Christ. And so they ain't got no choice. They come. And so I, I uh, just encourage you to, um, to get your kids to DSM on Thursdays. Uh, you know, if you don't want to take them over to Cleveland, then like I said, there's a shuttle here at 6 o'clock that we'll be picking them up. And taking them there, all you have to do is drop them off here and come back here to get them at around what time? 8.30? 9, 9.30. Woo! They getting it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 9.30. All right. Well, let's hold that offering up and let's bless that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for um, this opportunity, Father, to give to your kingdom, Lord. Thank you, Father, that All that we have comes from you, and I just declare it right now that it is more than enough, Lord. It is more than enough, Jesus. So we just thank you, Father, for what you're doing. I pray, Lord, that Uh, the seeds today father that you would bless them lord that they would expand your kingdom god we just declare the gospel throughout northeast ohio father that it would touch every every soul father that it would touch every life god that they would come to know who you are because you are christ and christ is the lord and so we just bless this seed today i pray father that you would bless each giver and we thank you in your matchless name we pray Amen, amen amen And Amen. When you give that seed, that, that offering, if you, uh, if you go digitally, if you go through your phone and you go through uh, Pushpay or Cash App or through our, uh, through our website, make sure that you um, Cash App, there's a, a, a pull-down screen that says four. Put Wycliffe Floor for the floor. Wycliffe Floor for your offering, okay? Uh, Pushpay, it says special. That's a drop box and just put Wycliffe Floor. And I think our app just says, is it other? Was it other, Tamika? Special. Special. It says special. So put it for special, and I'll make sure it goes uh, towards that floor. So, you know, I had a nice little neat um, Christmas message all packaged up and (laughs) ready to go, called One Night. You know, it was all beautiful um, and nice and sweet. And, um, And that's what Marlon wanted to do. And then Jesus. God just wanted to do something different. (laughs) So, you know, here I am just being an obedient servant. Um, So let's uh, read our declaration real quick together before we get into this message. Uh, uh, Father God, I thank you that I prosper in all things and in health, even as my soul, mind, will, and emotions prospers. Thank you, Father. We bless you. So what the Lord's been doing in my life lately is he's been very specific in dealing with me about my busyness in my life, the busyness in my life. And I don't know how many of you guys can actually relate to what I'm talking about, but I have an idea that there's probably quite a few of you in this room, right? There was an American cardiologist that his name was Meyer Friedman who studied Americans and recognized that there were a lot of people that were having uh, heart attacks. And he did this study in the 50s, and then they wrote a book in 1974, I think it was, uh, called Type A Behavior in Your Heart. Okay, they were relating heart diseases to this, this, uh, what he discovered, which was called type A personality. And Some of the traits for type A personality is chronic competitiveness, impatience, aggression, hostility, uh, things of that nature. And it's a diagnosis that a lot of people now call hurry sickness, hurry sickness. And this is how they describe hurry sickness. It's a feeling of constantly being behind and rushed. It's It's a pressured sense that there is never enough time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right. So if you're not sure that this is something that you deal with, I just want to give you a couple symptoms here of of hurry sickness. And I'm pulling these from my own life, my own book, okay? Uh, You might have hurry sickness if when you come to a red light and there's two lanes and you have to turn left, you creep up in the right lane. And, 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 and you ju- judging on the car and how old the person is in the car, you're figuring out whether or not you can beat that person. Maybe they're texting. They might be texting. Or because of their age, I probably can beat you. Just I can hit my accelerator and beat you out of the blocks so I can jump over in the, in the left lane and turn left. You, you might suffer from hurry sickness. Another symptom might be if you are at the store and you're in the checkout, you go to the checkout line and, and there's two lines, same amount of people in a line, and you jump in line A, but the entire time, you're looking at line B and you're looking at the person that you would have jumped behind to see if they get checked out first, see if you made a, a, better, a good decision. In line A, you, you might suffer from hurry sickness. Third is um, if when you punch in the address on your Google map or your Waze, I use Waze, you know, and at the bottom of the screen it says you know, it gives you your estimated time of arrival, but in your mind, You think time to beat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get there before that. You might suffer from hurry sickness. (laughs) Another um, illness that's plaguing society is workaholism. Workaholism. And... You know, I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I think I'm going to do it. Um, I was was after talking to my good friend last night, and we were kind of discussing this. And so what I want to do is I just want to read you a couple lines from a book that I was reading uh, from Robert Morrison. It's called Take the Day Off. And this is what it says. It says, the report submitted to the government of Japan simply called him Mr. A to protect his identity. Let's call him Mr. Osako. He had worked for several years at a major Japanese snack food processing company, often putting in as many as 110 hours each week. Just to put that into perspective, that's more than two and a half, 40 hour work weeks jammed into one. To log 110 hours a week, requires working nearly 16 hours per day for seven days. He did that week after week, year after year. They found Mr. Asako dead at his workstation, the victim of a heart attack. He was 34 years old. I'm going to mess this up, but I'm taking this from this book. In Japan, they call it Karoshi. Karoshi. You have that? Spelling of that, Tim? Karoshi. Huh? there it is, Karoshi. Okay, I need you to see the words because I'm going to jack these other two up. Um, in. Here we are. The Chinese have their own word for it, and I, I, I'm going to mess this up. But that's that's the second word, Tim. It's Guilao, Guilao. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. And in South Korea, they call it. I'm going to really mess this up. Gueroso, Guerosa. Yeah. All three terms were coined fairly recently to describe something so new that their languages didn't have a word for it. These words describe the act of literally working yourself to death. All three Asian cultures discovered they needed a word to describe an increasingly common phenomenon there, namely, people dropping dead on their jobs as a result of working insane hours under intense pressure with little to no rest. You hear that, three descriptions? Working insane hours under intense pressure with little to no rest. Workaholism, like any other addiction, is just the inability to stop the behavior. And it often stems from this compulsive need to achieve status or success, right? Workaholism isn't only socially acceptable, it's actually lionized in society. Even in the, the, the moral decay of the world, few people brag about breaking the Ten Commandments. I think nobody brags about how many lies they told last week. Right? Nobody, nobody brags about how many affairs they had. You don't brag about how many people are dead because of you. Yet regularly, we hear Christians brag about how many days they work in a week. How many days you work in a row. How busy we are. What time we got to work and when we left. We exalt workaholism and its twin, busyness. Even though we suffer under its cruel oppression. When you ask people how you're doing, one of the most common answers you'll hear from them, I'm doing fine, but busy. 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 Busy has become a surrogate for for I'm important for some people. To say that I'm busy means that I matter. I really do, I matter. Like when's the last time that you asked somebody how you're doing and they just said, eh, kind of bored. right? Just bored. Just been medicating my mediocrity via Netflix. No, we don't do that. One pastor said that busyness isn't just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. We're busy at work 40 hours a week has become a thing of the past for most of us. And our so-called labor-saving devices, our cell phones and text messages and and emails and and Slack, means that we just carry our work around on us in our pocket 24 hours a day now, seven days a week. One study said that 75% of us sleep next to our phone, and 90% of us check it immediately upon waking 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days of vacation a week, a year, and only 14% take longer than two weeks a year, and 20% of them stay in touch with their jobs when they're there. Most of us go at a pace of overload in our lives. We're just cramming it all in. We're going from thing to thing to thing to thing. And let me tell you, it does something to your soul. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. He'll make you busy. And here's the truth to that statement, is that busyness and sin, they have the same effect in your life. They both cut us off to the awareness of and the connection to the spirit of God and the life that he has for us. So my question is this, does God have a plan to give us rest? Does he have a plan to give us rest? And the answer is yes. It's called the Sabbath. The Sabbath. It's one day, one day a week, where you just rest. Where you rest, where you do no work, where you just delight in him. One day. I'm just going to jump right in. I got four points, and I'm going to make them quick. So first point is the Sabbath, it's a command. Do you know that? The Sabbath is a command. When God condensed human morality for the nation of Israel into ten tweets, The Ten Commandments. (laughs) The Sabbath was so important that he put it in his top ten list. Look at Exodus 28. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And holy just means that to set it apart. All right? Six days you shall labor and do all your emails. Do all your work in those six days. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall turn off your cell phones. (laughs) You shall do no work. You shall do no work. Nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant. I never have any of my servants do any of my work. Nor your cattle, he ain't even, we don't want your animals working. Nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, which just means he set it apart. It's the same root word of holy. He said, you shall do no work. This is a commandment. This is a commandment right here. This, this is one of God's top ten, and it holds the same weight as don't commit adultery. Don't steal, right? Don't covet. Don't murder. Honor God first. Don't have any idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Honor your mother and father. Same list. This is the same list. And of the list, it's actually the longest. It's the longest of the 10, if you take a look at it. I believe it's the longest because God knew that we would, we would complain about it. We would try not to do it. It's the longest of all, of all 10. In that 10, this one right here, God is telling you, I love you so much. I love you so much that one day a week... I don't want you doing any work. I want you to rest. What's interesting is that you'll never find a Christian that thinks it's okay to violate any of the other commandments. Right? We don't think, we we never think that. You never think it's okay to kill anybody. You never think it's okay to steal or to lie. But when it comes to this one commandment, we violate it regularly and i 'm guilty too. I stand here guilty. We violate it regularly. I think I told you guys it was a couple weeks ago we had our, our e the emotional healthy spirituality course downstairs and, and I just told on myself to everybody i 'm the yes guy i 'm the guy that i'll sure i 'll do it i 'll say yes to just about everything and and we were, we were downstairs and after the course, I told him that I was you know on mondays i 'm off and I try, I try not to do anything, and afterwards, Dan came up to me, and he wanted to meet, and, 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 and I was like, he said, we went through a couple of days, and, and he said, well, what about Monday? And I said, well, I'm usually off on Monday, but, but we can figure something out. He said, no, no, no. You just said that you're trying to change that. You're a yes, no, dude. Let's find another day. Like, we violate it regularly. I may as well told him that day, sure, I'll meet you on that day along the way. Let's, let's go knock off a shale gas station and kill a couple of people too. <laughs> we violate it regularly. But this is a commandment. And I know some of you might be thinking, like, that's the Old Testament, Pastor. And we're not, we're not bound to the Old Testament law anymore. And, and that's right. But listen to me. The Sabbath principle was before the law in creation. God established it in the law, and it existed after the law in the life of Jesus. You hear me? It was established before the law, before the law in creation, and then he established it in the law, and then it existed in the law in the life of Jesus. I'll explain. Jesus, And because Jesus is our example, am I right? Jesus is our example. We should keep the Sabbath so that we can keep the, uh, follow Jesus' example. Which leads me to my second point. My second point is this, is it's a law of creation. It is a law of creation. Take a look at Genesis 2. And this is before the law was created. This is before the Ten Commandments. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This was woven and knitted into creation. And, and, and what's so beautiful and graceful about this is just when you look at his work, like after creating everything else, then he created man. And it wasn't, it's not because we're like, we was the least of his creations. We are actually his crowning jewel, right? You're his crowning jewel you're the most valuable and most attractive creation to him. He put us here afterwards. He didn't do it in the middle, right? He didn't do it in the middle. He did it afterwards, after everything was here. He didn't do it when we were, there were no trees and, and water, you know, because we couldn't have handled that. We would have been here on earth, and trees would have been coming out of the ground, all that. He did this after, so that it would all be ready. It's just like if we were inviting Carlton, we're inviting you and Shanice over for dinner at 6 o'clock. We're not going to start dinner at 6 o'clock. No, we're going to get up and we're going to get prepared. We're going to clean the house. We're going to get everything out. We're going to start the dinner early. So when they come, when our guests come, everything is all ready. Everything is done. He created it all. For you and for me. So that we could enter into his rest. Everything he made was for us. He anticipated everything that we needed. The food, animals, trees, rivers. So that we could enter his rest. And look at the last verse. Was it verse 3? It says, God rested. It It says he rested. I just want to speak that over you today. God rested. God rested. Yeah, I know, Pastor, but I got a son that plays basketball, and I got a daughter who plays the cross, and, and you know, I'm so busy doing it. God rested. I know, Pastor, man, but I own my own business, and right now I'm working with two or three important clients, and you know, right now everything's. God rested. I know, Pastor, but by Meyer Briggs, you know, type says that I'm a, more of a doer and, and you know I'm more of an extrovert. But but God rested after six days of creation. You think your your week was productive? Like what do you have to show for it? An unchecked to do list and a bunch of emails. It says that God rested. And God is telling you right now, He's saying, okay, now it is time for you to rest. That word rested is Shabbat in Hebrew, where we get the same word, Sabbath, which literally means to stop, to stop, to cease. The idea here isn't that, that, that God was burned out. It wasn't like if he would have made one more star or one more, one more tree, he would have fell over from exhaustion. That's not the idea here, right? Isaiah 40 tells us that he is an everlasting God and that he never grows weak and never grows weary. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. When we hear uh, the rest, the only thing we think of is lay down and go to sleep because we're worn out. But this is talking about a rest in the way of an artist. Like an artist paints a picture. Right? He's put everything into this painting, and it is a masterpiece. And if he puts one more stroke on it, then he'll just ruin the picture. So he rests. He rests because it's perfect. It's complete. He's satisfied with it. On the seventh day, God is inviting us to enter into his completion of what he's done, what Jesus has done, where we just cease from work and delight in him. This is something that was just woven into the fabric of creation. This is a whole day set aside to follow God's example to stop and just delight in your life, And in him. I've heard Christians try to justify workaholism in in the kingdom by saying, well, you know, the devil never takes a day off. Like, when did the devil become your role model? (laughs) Last time I checked, he loses. He loses. We get so caught up in this action-oriented world that we forget to just stop and take notice of our creator and the brilliant master plan that he's, that he's set out for our lives. And he didn't just draw it up. Like, like he was the example. He was the example. Pastor Michelle loves the uh, amazing race. Loves the amazing race. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever watched it, but in it, the opponents, they go around the world, they travel to different countries, and they have these different challenges that, that they have to complete. And when they get to some of the challenges, there's, there's a demonstrator, right? There's, there's someone who has mastered the challenge, who shows you how to do it. This is how you do that in order to complete the challenge. So you have to watch this demonstrator. And then you have to do exactly what the demonstrator does so that you can complete that challenge. In our case, the creator himself has given us an example of how to do life. He has given us example. He worked six days, then he rested. Okay, by doing this, he built a rhythm into the fabric of creation that we need to follow if we intend to persevere. Amen? Amen. Like, it's no coincidence that every other society in the world runs off of a seven-day week. We could have had a 10-day work week. We could have had a four-day week. God created the seven-day week, and he created one of those days to rest. The last time an attempt was actually made to change the seven-day week was in 1793 during the French Revolution. They changed it to a 10-day week. They did that to up production. And the result was that suicide went through the roof, mental illness was epidemic, and productivity actually went down after adding three days to the work week. There's studies that show that productivity actually drops after 50 to 55 hours. Despite any of the bragging, there is zero difference in productivity between those that work 90 hours a week and those that work between 50 and 55 hours, which is interesting. interestingly about six days of work. So why did God command a Sabbath rest day? It brings me to my third point. It teaches us to walk by faith. It teaches us to walk by faith. It's for rest and and replenishment. But also spiritually, it teaches us just to walk by faith. The first time Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible, it isn't in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is found in Exodus 20, but if we back it up, uh, I think four chapters, Exodus 16 and this is when Israel was out in the wilderness and God is providing food for him uh, by manna, bread from heaven. Uh, Exodus 16, it says, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded And it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Remember before when they tried to keep it for for two days, it stank and there were worms in it. But on Friday it lasted for two days. That was the only day that it did that. that. And so what God is telling them is that is that they had to prepare for the Sabbath. You have to prepare for the Sabbath day. If we're going anywhere, on, say, Wednesdays or midweeks, and if we're going anywhere, Michelle works from home. When she gets up, she starts getting ready in the morning. And she'll go to work, and then she'll take a break, and she'll go put on whatever she's wearing that evening. She'll go back to work, and then she'll go back up, and she'll do her makeup. Then she'll go back to work, and then she'll get up, and she'll go do her hair. This is what she's doing all throughout the morning. And I'm just walking around like... We don't have to be there until 7. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? What happens is when she gets off work, she can just rest. She can just rest. She can spend time in the Word. She can spend time with Jesus. Me, it is 6 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, we got to get there. I'm going, I don't know what I'm wearing. I got to shave. I'm like, I don't even know if I brushed my teeth this morning. (laughs) so we have to prepare for the sabbath you understand that just means that throughout the week you need to clean your house throughout the week throughout the week you get your laundry washed and folded the day before you just cook a little extra so you got some leftovers for the next day. See, ironically, undisciplined people can never Sabbath. Lazy people can never Sabbath. Because on your day of rest, you're just catching up. You're catching up on your day off. Jumping back into Exodus, it says, Then Moses said, Eat that day, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, to gather, but they found none. That's type A people. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws see for the lord has given you the sabbath therefore he gives you on the 6th day bread for 2 days let every man remain in his place let no man go out of his place on the 7th day so the people rested on the 7th day so so why do you think why did god do this I mean, obviously, it's because he didn't want us having any fun on earth. <laughs> right? No. no. it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. He wants us to actually enjoy life. He's saying, I want you to be refreshed. I want you to be different from the world that's constantly overwhelmed, constantly burned out, constantly stressed. God wants his people to be obvious people of blessing and refreshment. Amen? The only reason that we would work ourselves seven days a week straight, and listen to me, is because we don't trust him. We don't trust that he's going to take care of it. We don't trust that all of your needs are provided for. But he is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He will provide the only, the only way he knows how, and that's with everything. He'll give you everything that you need. By keeping the Sabbath, it's just trusting that God is working in your life when you ain't. The purpose was just to teach him to walk by faith. Why? Because faith is the essence of the Christian life. It is the essence of the Christian life. Because we're justified by faith apart from works of the law, Romans three twenty-eight. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Because we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. In the Sabbath command, God is asking you, can you just trust me? Can you trust me? For one day, can you just stop? And trust that I'm going to bless and take care of everything on your behalf. Can you trust me, church? And the answer is yes. Let me give you an example of the, of the corporate world. Think about one fast food restaurant that every Christian loves that they can't get on Sunday. Chick-fil-A, they just built a Chick-fil-A in Lorraine and we, had, we were in the offices every Tuesday and Friday and, and every Tuesday, you guys can mess with, with Pastor Dion when you see him next time, I'm telling you, every Tuesday about noon, this dude is like, he got to go get Chick-fil-A. But check this out, Chick-fil-A is the second largest fast food chain in America, it's the fastest growing fast food chain in America, it's the most profitable fast food chain in America and it's America's favorite restaurant. Second largest, fastest growing, most profitable, favorite restaurant, but it's only open six days a week, not seven. How's that possible? Because you can get more done in six days with the blessing of God than in seven days without it. That's how that's possible. That's how that's possible. A Sabbath is to your schedule like a tithe is to your budget. And everyone that tithes consistently, they, they know this principle. What a person who tithes knows for, uh, from experience is that God plus 90% of my income can do more than me and 100% of my income. And so if we apply that principle to the Sabbath, it looks and sounds like this. I can accomplish more in six days with God's blessing in my life than seven days without it. It's all about trusting the Lord. Amen? Amen? So you just have to get to a place where you just trust Him. And some of you might be thinking, what about emergencies? What about emergencies? Jesus answered that. Jesus said, if your ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath pull it out right just pull it out but listen if your ox is falling into a ditch every week you a bad manager That's right. That's right. <laughs> if every single week emergencies are popping up in your life you need to put some systems and some policies in place some boundaries In your life so your ox will stop falling in the ditch and you can get some rest. And God is full of grace. He's flexible. Right? Paul tells us in Romans that one day shouldn't be considered more holy than the next. So your Sabbath doesn't have to be Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. It doesn't have to be Sunday. Some people work on Sundays. So it doesn't have to be any certain day. Just pick a day that works for you. Mondays work for you or for me. Like whatever it is, I don't know what it looks like for you. But there needs to be one day a week set apart. Stop stop moving seven days a week. Constantly going seven days a week. This is built into the fabric of creation. You understand? Sabbath will catch up with you one way or another either you're going to stop or it's going to stop you. It comes in different... Sickness, cancers, it will stop you because you're running yourself to death. And it leads me to my last point, which is the Sabbath. It's a blessing. The Sabbath is a blessing not an obligation. The Sabbath is a blessing, not a rule as much as it is a gift. Look at Mark two twenty-three, And it says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Remember, it's working was, wasn't lawful on the Sabbath, not eating. I, I plan to eat a lot on my Sabbath. Right. <laughs> it was working. But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in the need of hung, need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, And ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some of those to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was just saying to her, guys, y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. You took a gift and turned it into a grievance. You're not supposed to feel like a slave to that day. Right? You're not called to go back to Egypt. You're supposed to enjoy the gift, and that day is supposed to feel like it serves you. That's the whole principle is that you don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve you. It's a blessing, not a burden. I heard a story of a pastor that was visiting Israel, and he walked into an elevator on the Sabbath day. And there happened to be two Jewish guys that that followed him into the elevator. And while he was there on the elevator, the the doors shut, and the elevator started to move. And, And when it got to one floor, the door, they stopped. And, and, and it opened, and then it shut. Went to the second floor, third floor, opened, shut. Nobody, what he recognized is that nobody was getting off of the elevator. And so eventually, he turns around and he, he, he just got irritated and he asked the guy, he said, what's the deal with this elevator? And they said, oh, this is the Shabbat elevator. And he said, the Shabbat elevator, what is that? What are, we, what are you talking about, Shabbat elevator? And so they explained, they said, well, that's the Sabbath. And It stops on every floor so that we don't have to press a button, right? Because if we press a button, it sparks an electrical current. And one of the rules about keeping the Sabbath is that you you can't start a fire on the Sabbath. So electricity usage amounts to kindling a fire. So it just stops on every level so that we don't have to do work on the Sabbath. And so the pastor said, well, y'all got a Gentile elevator? Like, where's that at? And the guy said, as a matter of fact, we do. It's right across the hall. And so the next stop, he got off the elevator and he walked across the hall. And, and he got in the elevator and the door shut and he heard some noise behind him. And he turned around and it was two Jewish guys that followed him. They said, hey, can you press number 10 for us? <laughs> See, they took a blessing and turned it into a burden. You are meant to be a servant on the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves you. The command is you shall not work. That means nothing dealing with your vocation, nothing dealing with your calling. There's so much more in the Sabbath. I think I may do a series. Stand up with me. We're going to close and get out of here. You have to, you're going to have to train yourself. You're gonna have to train yourself to pencil this word on your calendar. Nothing. Nothing. So when somebody asks you if you can get together on Saturday, in my case, if I can get together on a Monday, you can just say, no, I can't do that. I have nothing on my schedule. And they'll probably return with something like, oh, okay, cool, you have nothing on your schedule. Well, let's get together. And then you can say, no, no, no. You don't understand. Monday, I'm scheduled to do nothing. Monday, I'm gonna do nothing. I'm scheduled to do nothing on Monday. Nothing is actually on my schedule. And then what you do is you you schedule another day to get together with that person and tell them about this wonderful gift that's woven into creation for those that know, love, and trust him. Trust Jesus. You tell them about this invitation to stop and to cease and delight in God, in his world, and our lives in it. You tell them about this opportunity to bury the desire to focus on all the things that we don't have and to delight in the things that we do. rest for one day a week. And tell somebody about this amazing gift called the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that you know what's best for us, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've woven into the law of creation one day for us to stop Take in all of your beauty, Lord, to enjoy all of creation, Father. Holy Spirit, help us this week to walk by faith, God, having complete confidence, Lord, and trusting you, Jesus, that you're working behind the scenes, Father, on our behalf, that we've got a provider, Lord, that supplies all our needs. You are Jehovah Jireh. Remind us that we can get more done in six days with your blessing, Father, than in seven without. Remind us that this day, Father, this day is a gift that you've given to us. Not an obligation, not not a burden, Father, but a blessing from our Heavenly Father. For us to delight in, to be in awe of what you've done. Most importantly, to know and to worship you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. We celebrate you today, Jesus, for all that you are, for who you are. We thank you for coming here to earth, wrapping yourself with skin, dwelling amongst us, loving us. We thank you for the cross today, the blood that was shed on Calvary. We thank you that you and only you could do the impossible to conquer the grave and sin so that we could live, Lord. We bless you today. We honor you. We exalt you. We lift you up on high. have some of our uh, altar ministers and pastors up here. If you need prayer, we'd love for you to come up. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want you to do that today. It is the best decision you'll ever make. We'd love to pray with you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Remember to live right, to love everybody, and to pray hard. We'll see you next week.